When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 167 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline, and we're back with you again to break down what we saw during Conference Championship Week and look ahead to bowl season, which officially kicked off Monday with Appalachia State routing a 4-5 and North Texas team. The college football playoff is locked in with Alabama facing Notre Dame and Clemson facing Ohio State on New Year's Day. We won't cover those games on this week's show, but real quick, Tony, what do you think of the matchups? You know, we've debated whether or not Ohio State should be in the uh, Final Four. I, I guess Florida kind of uh, shot themselves in the foot with that loss to LSU. I, I think we knew what was going to happen all along. It was going to be Clemson against the best team in the SEC in the finals, and that's the way this is shaping up to be. Clemson against Alabama for the national title. Now we'll get right into today's show in just a moment. After this word from our sponsor, the NFL and college football playoffs are right around the corner. In addition to the NBA and college basketball with all these sports going on, there are plenty of bets to lock in. So if you're thinking about picking the Lakers to repeat their NBA championship or someone upset Pat Mahomes and the chiefs, you need to go to betonline.ag. Speaking of Mahomes minus 300 to an MVP, That's three to one for those in layman's terms. Aaron Rodgers is really only true competitor at about plus 225. Personally, I think you could easily argue Rodgers being more valuable than the Packers than Mahomes to the Chiefs, even if Mahomes is better. I think you can argue that Andy Reid is probably more more valuable to Pat Mahomes than anybody else because Andy Reid, he's got the touch when it comes to developing quarterbacks. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And we're back. We discussed the Jets last week, and we've talked all year about just how Jets it truly would be for them to win meaningless games at the end and lose the top pick. Well, The Jets beat the Rams last weekend, positioning the Jaguars at the top of the draft for the rights to select Trevor Lawrence, who, by the way, is 50 to one to be the top pick or not to be the top pick, I should say, for our partners at Bet Online. What a disaster for the Jets. But from Lawrence's perspective, the Jags really aren't the most desirable destination either. Tends to happen when you own the top pick in the draft. What do you make of all this, Tony? You know, uh, Monday morning, I'm driving to the gym and ESPN radio in New York was on. And I I was just listening to unhinged Jet fans. I I could understand why they were upset that the Jets actually won a game. But they were, I I mean, it was over the top about how 
the organization was disgraceful. The organization should have basically forced the loss. Uh, you know, the organization, this and that. Listen, no player wants to be associated with a team or be on the roster of a team that goes 0-16. No coach wants to be part of a staff of a team that goes 0-16. So you knew at some point in time the Jets were going to win one or two games. I mean, they're professionals. All this belief, this tom tomfoolery that the Jets were going to tank for Trevor was a joke. They're out there. They want to win football games. They don't want to hear week after week after week, when are you going to win the first game? And they don't want it hanging over there, you know, hanging like an albatross that they were on a team that went 0-16. So I, I, it was eventually going to happen. I mean, people were even screaming that uh, the Rams coach should have been fired because of some of his play calling. Uh, you know, the Jets played a good game. Give him credit. Darnold played a good game. Give him credit. Uh, the, you know, the defense came up when it had to. Uh, and, you know, they're 1-13. There's two more weeks left. Let's see what happens. Yeah, and at the very least, I mean, the Jets can hang their hat on the fact that a big reason they won this game was the play of Quinn and Williams early on really dominating from the interior when he got hurt and left the game. That's when the Rams really started to mount their comeback. So at the very least, you're winning because of a guy you recently drafted with a very high pick who you want to develop. And especially at that position, you want a guy like that to develop into a true game wrecking superstar like the guy on the other side in Aaron Donald. Now, Tony, to steal a word from you last year, we're New York whether it's radio callers or whoever it was, were New York football fans more apoplectic over the Jets winning or Daniel Jones being drafted by the Giants? Uh, well, 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 probably Daniel Jones, but that didn't last very long because Daniel Jones, at least in 2019, played pretty well. He's having his difficulties this year, uh, but he played pretty well. I think the problem for Jet fans, especially longtime Jet fans, People who've been with the team for a while, like myself, I mean, this all seems almost like Peyton Manning all over again, although it's a little bit different. You know, in 97, they were one of the worst teams in the league, had the first pick of the draft. Bill Parcells comes in. Everybody expects Peyton Manning to be the top pick of the draft. The Jets are going to finally get that franchise quarterback. Peyton Manning announces he's going back for a senior year. He's going back for a senior season because he wants to finally beat Florida. He wants to play for a national title of Tennessee. He wants to win the Heisman Trophy. Didn't do any of that. And in the end, the Jets lost out on Peyton Manning. So I think uh, especially longtime Jeff fans, especially the way Trevor Lawrence has you know, been built up, I think justifiably so, they think, once again, we're in, a we're in a position where we may be able to finally get a franchise quarterback. I mean, the franchise quarterback, one of the best quarterback prospects in a long, long time. And then it looks like it may just slide right past them. Now, moving on to what we saw during conference title week, you mentioned Peyton Manning not being able to beat Florida. Well, Alabama this week in the SEC championship did beat Florida 52 to 46 in a game that really kind of delivered on the hype, even if Florida lost the prior week and took some luster off of the game. But if you needed more proof why Najee Harris is the most complete back in this draft, this game really should have given it to you. 31 carries, 178 yards, and two touchdowns on the ground. Five catches, 67 yards, and three touchdowns through the air. He runs with power, quick feet, and small spaces. Consistently catches the ball off his frame, makes difficult grabs, can make defenders miss in the open field. Feels like he hurdles a defender every other week. He's also effective picking up blitzes as well. I mean, he may not have blazing speed, but really no other knocks on Najee Harris's game. 
Devontae Smith with another ho-hum 15 catches for 184 yards and two touchdowns. Guy is just always open, and, you know, the fact that that's ho-hum says it all. We discussed Kyle Trask needing to kind of bounce back this week. 26 of 40, 408 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, but he did have two fourth quarter fumbles. One of them was overturned by a penalty. Otherwise he played well though, against a defense that had been lights out lately, but of course having Kyle Pitts back is going to help 129 yards and a touchdown on seven catches had some really fun battles against Dylan Moses and Patrick Sertan, the second other guys who will probably go in the first round as well, but Pitts beat anybody that Bama threw his way. It really didn't matter who. Sertan did get beat badly by Trayvon Grimes at the catch point early in the second half on a long touchdown. And Grimes' teammate, Kadarius Toney, made big plays, really like he has all season. Ridiculous burst out of his route breaks. This was a shootout, Tony. All the offensive players who will be drafted high really showed out in this one. Anything else that you saw? Well, I knew going into the game that there were going to be a lot of points scored. I just didn't know whether Florida is going to be able to score a lot of points, which they did primarily playing catch-up. I thought uh, Kadarius Tony played uh, very, very well. He's a big play receiver. He's a guy who uh, has really improved his draft stock this year, comes into the season as a late-round pick. He's absolutely moved into the middle rounds, maybe a second-day selection. I thought Kyle Trask rebounded well off of that poor uh, performance against LSU. No interceptions. Moved the uh, offense pretty well. Uh, you know, As you mentioned, I mean, Najee Harris – 31 carries, 178 yards, five total touchdowns. It's not just the stats. It's the fact that the guy can pound it out on the inside. He's got the quickness and agility to turn the corner. He's a legitimate pass catcher. It's not a breakaway threat, not a guy that's going to run to daylight, but someone that you can do a lot of different things with on the inside or around the corner, uh, which is why I've said all along, he's a first-round prospect that plays a second-day position. I do think there's a chance he slides into the late part of round one. Mac Jones, another real good day. Five uh, touchdowns, one interception. And, of course, Devonta Smith. I mean, 15 receptions, 184 yards, two TDs. Uh, you, you know, there, there's a guy that's got to be in the conversation for the Heisman Trophy and will be the second receiver picked, uh, I believe, after Jamar Chase. Uh, just tremendous uh, offensive talent uh, on the field. I was not impressed with Alabama's defense. Dylan Moses, I think, uh, played relatively well, as you said. Josh Job was up and down. He made a couple of good plays, but then he was consistently getting beat uh, on a number of times. Uh, Christian Barmore, who I hear is going to enter the draft, was kind of up and down. You mentioned Sertain. Uh, you know, you talked about the uh, Final Four at the beginning of the show. It's going to be interesting to see what Trevor Lawrence can do against that Alabama defense, which has shown itself to be pretty porous uh, throughout the season. Now, the other monster matchup on the slate didn't quite meet the hype as Clemson wrecked Notre Dame 34 to 10, getting some revenge for their earlier loss without Trevor Lawrence. Speaking of Lawrence, a bit of a slow start in this one, had an early interception, but after that, Pretty flawless, over 400 total yards, including a 34-yard rushing touchdown. A lot of people seem to forget that he is a legitimate threat with his legs. Also had a long touchdown pass to Amari Rogers, who went for eight catches, 121 yards, and that score. Travis Etienne had 124 yards on only 10 carries. Explosive as always. Speed to take it to the house, which probably his one advantage over Najee Harris as a running back prospect. Jeremiah Owosu-Karamoa played well for Notre Dame. Seven tackles, two of them for loss. Then he won the Butkus Award on Monday. But the story here, besides all those individual players, is just the Clemson front seven getting relentless pressure against Ian Book and what 
came into the game and still is a highly regarded Notre Dame offensive line, six sacks and all, and really made it impossible for the Irish to move the ball. You know, we said last week uh, when we talked about this game, when we previewed it, uh, Liam Eikenberg, the left tackle for Notre Dame, gets a lot of mention as a first-round prospect. I just don't see it. I think he's better off on the right side. Had his moments, but he just doesn't show that great agility or quickness, the ability to adjust. He's more of a solid position blocker, gets the most from his ability. I just don't see him as a first-round prospect. And as you said, uh, you know, six sacks. I will say this, though. A lot of those sacks were coverage sacks because you talked about the Clemson defensive front seven, justifiably so. But it was a situation where Notre Dame had no receivers o- open at all. And Book really had, couldn't do anything with it because he had, he had nobody to throw the ball to. And eventually the Clemson defenders uh, got to Book and brought him down. Uh, Darion Kendrick, the, uh, the corner from uh, Clemson, who I grade as a second-round pick, I thought he had a sensational game. Uh, basically, they couldn't throw it in his direction because he was constantly covering his guys. Very explosive. He's got terrific size. He's the guy who I think is going to be a second-round pick. Uh, going back to the other side of the ball, I thought Jackson Carmen uh, did a solid job protecting uh, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, we, we spoke about this, uh, this matchup a little bit uh, against Agundaje, uh, the uh, defensive end, the pass rusher from Notre Dame, who has a lot of wild plays, has a lot of flash plays, but doesn't show much consistency, hasn't shown much consistency the past two years. You know, you'll watch him and he'll make a player two here or there where you think, wow, I, I mean, this guy's got some big-time ability. And then he disappears, finished the game with two tackles, the, the game against Clemson with two tackles, uh, one sack and one tackle for loss. That's basically what he does. It's a flash play here or there, and then he disappears for stretches. I mean, you know, this was a good game for three or four minutes, and then that was it. And Clemson took over, uh, and Trevor Lawrence took over. So uh, you saw what happened on Saturday night. You can only imagine what could have potentially happened during that first game when Notre Dame won in, in overtime because Trevor Lawrence was not on the field. Now heading to the Big Ten, where Ohio State was actually down at half to Northwestern, ended up outscoring the Wildcats 16-0 in the second half to pick up the 22-10 win, but it wasn't thanks to Justin Fields. 12 for 27, 114 yards, two interceptions. Very inaccurate, as the stats will tell you, making receivers just work too hard for passes, not making quick decisions. He had no rhythm, obviously was very uncomfortable without Chris Olave, who missed the game. There was some talk afterwards of a wrist sprain, but even still, just a brutal game for Fields. And his second of the year, we talked about the Indiana game on prior shows. This is a guy that really didn't have any bad games on tape before 2020. The hero here was former Oklahoma running back Trey Sermon, 29 carries for 331 yards and two touchdowns. Most of that coming in the second half, over 250 yards of it. He broke Eddie George's school record. Now, Sermon had some massive holes to run to in this game. Sometimes he was untouched by the time he got to the first down marker. So great work up front by the likes of Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, and Thayer Mudford. But Sermon also ran with power, good burst to get into the open field, take advantage of those holes and bust some long runs. He's got solid size, not much of a factor in the passing game, but a player who was a factor in the passing game for Northwestern on the defensive side of the ball was Ernest Brown pushing people around. Guy has a great motor, five tackles, two for loss, one sack. Much of that came in. He was lined up opposite of Thayer Munford, but still Brown continues to impress every time we see him play. And as we said numerous times on this podcast, the, the situation with Brown is he's a tremendous athlete. Uh, if he gets a combine invitation, which I think he will, he's going to test off the charts. He's going to come in about 280 pounds. He'll probably run the high four rates, low four nines. 
his agilities will be very well, uh, re- real good. And, and you can see that athleticism on the field because he makes plays in every direction. You see him off the line in, in pursuit. Uh, he's a terrific pass rusher. The problem with him is the inability to stay healthy. Now he's shown uh, some durability this year. He's been more productive. He's an explosive 4-3 uh, defensive end pass rusher who I think is going to be underdrafted. I think he's one of these guys that could go the last day of the draft. And then if he stays healthy and continues to build upon, you know, some of the flashes and some of the outstanding play that we saw uh, basically the past two years, especially this big, ten, this big 10 game against Ohio state, it's going to be a big time player at the next level. I mean, this was a game where, you know, Northwestern just hung in as long as they could. And then they just don't, they're at a talent deficiency to Ohio state. So eventually the dam was going to break. I thought Peyton Ramsey played relatively well, was able to move the, uh, the Northwestern offense. They came up with third downs when they needed them. Uh, the defense played relatively well. You know, I would agree with you. You know, the hero is either Trey Sermon or the guys that were blocking for him because, you know, like you said, uh, he wasn't touched for the first five, six yards when he got the ball, but he is a big, powerful downhill ball carrier. Not a good game by Justin Fields, as you mentioned. Second time this year, as you mentioned, the other one against the, the the other one being the Indiana game. We'll see how he rebounds in the semifinals. Now, Oregon is a team who wasn't even supposed to be in the Pac-12 title game, but got their shot with Washington's COVID-19 issues and picked up a 31-24 win over USC. They really rattled quarterback Keaton Slovis early. Diomedair Lenore, an interception on the first play on a throw way behind. Tyler Vaughn's, which was a theme for Vaughn's in this game, just two catches for 24 yards, lots of errant throws in his direction. Amon Ross St. Brown, three catches on one first quarter drive, including a touchdown. Bit quiet otherwise because Drake London really continues to lead the receiving group for USC. On the Oregon side of things, really heavy rushing game, about two-thirds of their plays, left Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red without many looks. Red did have a bad drop early on a screen pass, an issue we kind of mentioned recently with him. Caught the next one out of the backfield, though, after motioning for a short touchdown. Johnson's lone catch also came on a screen, took it for 23 yards. Anything of note for you in this one, Tony? The safety play from both teams. Uh, granted, there was, there was a lot of points scored. Granted, as you mentioned, I mean, Oregon's a, a late invitee to this game. and They end up uh, winning the Pac-12 championship. Uh, Hufanga, the, uh, the junior safety, actually both of them, Hufanga and, and uh, Paulo Mauo, from uh, USC, both junior safeties, both guys that I'm told are going to enter the draft. Hufanga, another great game, 12 tackles, two sacks, two tackles for loss, more of a downhill between the numbers type of safety, best defending run, but he is physical. And USC has put a lot of those types of safeties into the NFL with a variety of success. Some have done well, some have kind of been a flash in a pan. Uh, He's got the intensity. He's very explosive. I thought Nick Pickett, the uh, safety from Oregon, who really doesn't get a lot of play. A lot of people uh, dismiss him. I think he could be a late-round pick. Eight tackles in the game. Guy who stays with his assignments. He's very physical. Works hard to uh, make plays on the ball handler. And really, if you're looking for a zone or a traditional strong safety, Pickett is that type of player. Now, Cincinnati outlasted Tulsa 27-24 in the AAC title game to move 2-9-0. Tulsa linebacker Zaven Collins won the Nagurski Trophy this week. We've discussed him several times on the show. Just two tackles after he only had three against Navy, but a lot of it was how he was used. He may not have officially been a spy on Desmond Ritter on most plays, but often was covering the short middle zone on passing plays with a close eye on Ritter. He'd chase him down, 
when he broke the pocket. Ritter did have his share of big passing plays, mostly to Alec Pierce, mixed in with some screens and short passes. Also rushed for a touchdown on a design run where he did have some success throughout the game. Back to Collins, though, did miss a couple tackles in the backfield and at the line of scrimmage. So the slow game on the stat sheet isn't all on how he was used. But for Cincy's defense, Majai Sanders, two sacks. One came on a stunt where he closed pretty quickly to Zach Smith. And he also created good pressure with his speed off the edge. What did you see in this one, Tony? Well, I saw a real good game, and it was a game that I had been looking forward to. The two games in the during the uh, regular season, one was well, the first one was postponed, and the second one was uh, outright canceled because it was supposed to take place the week before the championship game. And, and like I said, I, I think these are two teams that have got real good talent, not necessarily first-round talent except for Zayvon Collins, but legitimate next-level talent, and they battled back and forth. I thought Ritter played very well, very efficient, like you said, he had his share of big plays. I'm told he's considering the draft. I think it would be best or to his advantage to uh, return to Cincinnati for another year. He really needs to develop as a passer. You mentioned Zayvon Collins. I think that Cincinnati was also uh, game planning around Collins because he's such a, a force up the field or even making plays in space or the interceptions as we've seen in the past. You mentioned my Jay Sanders. I know that Sanders is giving serious consideration, but I think like Ritter, he would benefit from going back for another year, just uh, physically maturing. He's a tall guy. He goes about six foot five, 248 pounds, needs to get a little bit stronger, uh, which would really complement his, his athleticism and playmaking skill. Collins is gone. Collins is going to enter the draft. I, I've been told that he has settled on, a, on an agent. He's a smart guy. I think he's going to interview very well. And in the end, I think Zayvon Collins is going to be a mid-first-round pick in the 2021 draft. Now, San Jose State, like Cincinnati, completed their abbreviated undefeated regular season with a 34-20 win over Boise State in the Mountain West title game. We talked about Spartans receivers Trey Walker and Bailey Gaither coming in. Walker, seven catches for 137 yards and a touchdown, including an early screen pass that went 55 yards for a touchdown. Showed off both his yards after catch and big playability in this one. Gaither, finished with five catches for 98 yards, bit quiet early. He was locked down by Avery Williams of Boise state until he had a big second quarter catch. They did a good job getting him away from Williams as the game went on. He got to show off his catch radius a little bit against both Jalen Walker and Kakala Canillo who allowed their fair share of receptions to the San Jose state receivers. Speaking of Williams though, in addition to his good play on defense, he had a big punt return touchdown, his second of the year, his fourth total on the season, including kick returns, and the 10th total of his career, seven punts and three kickoffs. It's possible that that return ability could really be his ticket to getting drafted. Uh, I, I think the three pass catches from San Jose State, Trey Walker, Bailey Gaither, and Derek Dees, the tight end. Mm -hmm. Derek Dees Jr., whose father played in the league, was the offensive tackle for San Francisco 49ers for all those years. I think all those guys will get late round consideration, especially Dees, because Dees has got the bloodlines. He's a bigger pass catcher. He's very athletic. He's basically what we call a late bloomer, someone who wasn't even mentioned uh, by scouts coming into the year, but really just seemed to get better and better as the season went along, as did the San Jose uh, State Spartans. Got to give them a hand. Go, they go seven and seven. They play a lot of their home games on the road late in the season because of the COVID-19 situation and the restrictions in Northern California. That uh, Mac West uh, title game was played in Las Vegas when it's usually played at one of the home teams or, or the team with the best record they played at their home stadium, which was San Jose State, but they couldn't play uh, in, in the city. Uh, 
you know, mentioned Bailey Gaither before. Bailey Gaither could have entered last year's draft. He was graded as a priority free agent by scouts. He was able to get a redshirt season, went back. I think he's benefited from it. And Trey Walker, as you said, a guy who, slot receiver, he's got excellent speed, real good pass catcher, and can double as a return specialist. I think all these guys, all those three guys from San Jose State, are going to get definite consideration in the late rounds, assuming that they work out well before the draft. And, you know, just capped off a terrific year for San Jose State. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Deese. I mean, he definitely pops as a seam stretcher type of tight end that the league does like these days. So he was definitely another guy that stood out, I should have mentioned. Moving over to the MAC title game, where Ball State kept Buffalo from going 6-0 with a 38-28 win. They shut down running back Jarrett Patterson, just 18 carries for 47 yards and one TD. As we kind of teased in the opener, the Ball State run defense is pretty good. They did allow a big run to Kevin Marks Jr. for half the rushing yards allowed total. But other than that, they were very stingy. The offensive star for Buffalo in this one was wide receiver Antonio Nunn, who Tony mentioned last week. 13 receptions, 182 yards, and a touchdown, including a big catch and run early. Lost a jump ball in the fourth quarter, though, that turned into a big interception. Also had a third down drop and didn't do much of his damage against Ameki Uzodima, though. Although Uzodima did rack up 10 tackles. Christian Albright, the linebacker to watch, was Johnny on the spot, returning a fumble for a touchdown in this one for a big play. Came up hard to defend the run on several occasions, although he only had a couple tackles. What did you see from this game, Tony? It's a good game. I mean, obviously, it was, it was an upset. Everyone expected Buffalo to win because Buffalo had been motoring along since the delayed start of the, uh, the Mac, uh, Mac season. Uh, Jared Patterson, uh, this was probably the only blip in, in what has been a tremendous uh, campaign. Uh, I'm told he's on his way to the NFL. In fact, if they had not played the season, he was going to declare for the NFL draft and start training. So you can expect to see Patterson. Uh, move on to the NFL after the bowl game. They play, I believe, Christmas Day. Uh, Buffalo plays uh, their bowl game. Uh, Nunn is a guy, again, someone who was really talked about. He's going to be a day three pick. I expect him to run in the low four fours, a good number five receiver, someone who he's not a true home run hitter, but he's a real good deep threat uh, pass catcher. Uh, ball State defense stepped up when it had to. You mentioned Uzadima. You mentioned Albright. They got a safety who had nine tackles and broke up a pass by the name of Bryce Crosby. He's not going to be drafted, but he's a legitimate uh, priority free agent. Uh, And and they've got another guy in Jalen Thomas, a smaller run and chase linebacker, eight tackles in the game, a guy who goes sideline to sideline, and a guy who sacrifices his body to make plays. Again, not going to be drafted, but someone that'll be, if not a priority free agent, he'll be signed Monday or Tuesday after the draft and we'll compete for a roster spot in camp next summer. Now on to some bowl previews. We'll hit on five this week through December 30th, starting with the New Mexico Bowl on Christmas Eve. No Marquez Stevenson as Houston takes on Hawaii. Stevenson declared for the draft on Wednesday. But a couple interesting wide receivers on the other side for Hawaii, Rico Bussey and Jarrett Smart, both average about four catches per game, used often underneath on short passes, not really busting many big plays. They should see a lot of Houston cornerback Demarion Williams. I'd say advantage to Williams in this matchup. Tony, what about you? Well, Bussey and Smart kind of complement each other. Bussey's the bigger receiver. Smart is the smaller, quick receiver who creates when the ball's in his hands. Rico Bussey actually played at Northern, North Texas last year, was graded as a fourth-round pick coming into the season, didn't play last year because of an injury, transferred to Hawaii, has had kind of an up-and-down season, although scouts thought he was still worth a middle-round pick coming into the year. I don't think they still feel that way about Bussey. Uh, the thing about Demarion Williams is he's got good size. 
He's physical, but he's one of these college cornerbacks who really struggle making plays with his back to the ball. So I, I think when you watch the matchup, I think he'll have a t- uh, an easier time handling Bussy than he does with Smart because Smart is so quick, uh, w- whether it's getting in and out of uh, routes, whether it's running after the catch, he could give Williams some fits because Williams sometimes struggles finding the ball and he plays the receiver's hands. Against Bussy, it's going to be strength against strength, size against size, uh, and really average speed against average speed, where Smart's got the burst and he's got the quickness. Now, Saturday brings us 11-0 Coastal Carolina against 9-1 Liberty in the FBC Mortgage Cure Bowl. Two teams who love to run the football, and Coastal in particular loves to run behind center Sam Thompson, former walk-on who you know made watch lists heading into the season. Stands just five foot nine, extremely short for an offensive lineman. I mean, a football player in general, but especially along the line. But he pushes 300 pounds, obviously should have no issue maintaining low leverage against Liberty defensive tackle Rolf's Rusens, who is nine inches taller than him, probably about 20 to 30 pounds heavier as well. A big Latvian DT whose game is based on strength. So is Thompson's, though. So this one could be a fun strength on strength matchup for several reasons. Thompson's one of those guys that is just a fun football player to watch. He really doesn't have much value in the next level. Maybe he's brought into a camp. But like you said, I mean, he he's maybe he's five foot nine, but he plays like he's six foot five. I mean, he is not. If you watch that BYU game, he was going up against uh, Carissus uh, Tonga. And for the most part, he was handling Tonga, who's six two, three hundred twenty five pounds. Now he goes up against Rusins, who's six five and a half, three hundred twenty pounds. Rusins isn't a big is not that big of a playmaker. He's more of a strong gap occupier who's still learning the game and Really, he should overpower and overshadow uh, Thompson. But Thompson has been up to every challenge this year. So, you know, Thompson has nothing to lose here, where Rusens has got a lot on the line. Rusens is a guy who came into the season, graded as a late-round pick, seventh-round pick by scouts. And if he can't ha- have his way with a five-foot-nine center, it's going to be a big mark against him. But again, no one has had their way with Sam Thompson this year. Two days later on Tuesday, the Cheez-It Bowl will pit Miami against Oklahoma State. Now, we've watched the Hurricanes secondary often. No Al Blades Jr. after his season-ending injury, but safeties Bubba Bolden and Gervin Hall Jr. remain against the Cowboys offense with two NFL wide receivers in Tylen Wallace and Dylan Stoner. Wallace, the rare good prospect to actually play in a bowl game, especially uh, during this COVID-ravaged season. But even if he didn't play, Stoner proved a few weeks ago that he's more than capable picking up the slack at 247 yards and three TDs when Wallace missed a game recently. Now Wallace doesn't have elite size, doesn't even have the size that Stoner has, but great at the catch point, tough after the catch. So he's a guy that after Miami's just debacle when it came to tackling, especially in the open field against North Carolina, that could pose some problems for these safeties and really the defense as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Especially since Bolin is more of a downhill straight line type guy, doesn't show that great lateral quickness. So Wallace is very quick. He's a good route runner. He knows how to separate. And you, you know that the ball is going to be in the air quite a bit when Oklahoma State shows up. And the fact that Wallace is playing in this game, I think, says a lot. And you're right on. I mean, Stoner's great compliment. Stoner is a, is a receiver that would start on most programs. Or I'm sorry, be the number one receiver on most programs in the nation. He's on a team with uh, Taiwan, Taiwan Wallace. That's why he's not the uh, number one receiver. I think the Miami uh, safety is going to be up against it when they face these two guys. 
Now, on the other side of the football, Miami star tight end Brevin Jordan, guy who kind of gets lost in the shuffle behind Kyle Pitts, but a great athlete and a great prospect in his own right. Should see a lot of Amen Ogbangbamiga this week. Last we saw the OSU linebacker, he was forcing three fumbles against TCU in a great performance after Trey Sterling left due to injury. Tough matchup for Ogbangbamiga against Jordan, but if he can prove up to it, could be a good sign for his draft prospects. It would absolutely help his uh, his draft grade because he's known more of a run stuffer, a run a guy who stacks well against the run, best in the box, best up the field. Now he's going up against a real athletic tight end in Brevin Jordan, who still needs a lot of work on his game, has got great upside, but is far from being a complete player at the position. Now two games to watch next Wednesday. First at 4 p.m., Iowa faces Missouri in the Music City Bowl. And we've discussed Chauncey Golston on the defensive end in the past for Iowa, but big defensive tackle Davion Nixon is a force against the run with 45 tackles this year, a big number for an interior lineman, but he also does work as a pass rusher, five and a half sacks in eight games this year, and he's going to look to help stop the Missouri ground game led by Larry Roundtree III, guy who has been a workhorse since his sophomore season for the Tigers, solid power as a runner, but doesn't show much as a receiver. Backup Tyler Beatty is a player to watch as well. Tony, what intrigues you about this particular matchup? Well, what intrigues me is that Nixon is moving up draft boards. I'm told he will enter the draft. He's a day two pick. And he is a big, tough, slug it out, uh, nose tackle type who makes plays on the football. So now he's going up against a terrific running back, as you mentioned, Larry Roundtree, who has been consistent even when Missouri was not a very good team. Uh, someone who can run I- inside the tackles. He's got great power. It'll be interesting to see if Nixon can really step up his playmaking and, and stop the run uh, against Roundtree. Uh, I would expect him to. Uh, he's moving up draft boards, as I said. He's going to be a day two selection. Another good challenge for Nixon. Now, lastly, the Cotton Bowl Classic between Florida and Oklahoma, the only matchup between top 10 teams before the calendar flips over to 2021, and one that has several intriguing matchups when the Gators have the football. Kyle Pitts should see a decent amount of Sooners linebacker Deshaun White. Good luck to Mr. White in this matchup, since even cornerbacks cannot seem to stop a truly dominant Kyle Pitts. Cornerback Trey Brown won't play in this game, which just means more for Trey Norwood on the other side against the explosive Kadarius Tony and Trayvon Grimes at wide receiver. And let's not forget about the trenches, where Ronnie Perkins, who had five and a half sacks in five games after returning from suspension to start the year, will face off here and there against Jean Delance, Seemingly the one matchup that should go in the Sooners' favor, although this Florida offense will still be pretty tough to contain even so. You know, on paper, Florida should put up a lot of points, and Florida should really win this game going away. I'm just wondering, uh, with the recent news about the recruiting violations of Florida, with the fact that they lost the SEC title game, and they lost the week before that against LSU, are their hearts really going to be in it? You know, is Pitts actually going to play in this game? what's going to happen uh, with Trask Uh, on paper, it should be a blowout in favor of the Gators. I just don't know that we're going to see all the Gators. And I just don't know, even if we see all the Gators that their heart is really going to be in it. And that's it for the 167th episode of the draft analyst presented by the believe sports podcast network. Do you believe if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week with more on bowl season. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Chapote. Good night.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.